The Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, chapter 16. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early, on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. They had been saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled back. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. Look, there is the place they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. So they went out and fled from the tomb, for terror and amazement had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. The Gospel of the Lord. Sisters and brothers, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus, the risen Christ. Amen. Some very early Christian theologians, including the likes of St. Augustine, wrote of what they called the Rhesus Pascalis translation, the Easter Laugh. Their point was that God, by raising Jesus from the dead, had the last laugh over sin and evil and death. And so they said one of the most appropriate proclamations of Easter is laughter. One of my very favorite contemporary writers, Frederick Buechner, wrote a book called The Gospel as Tragedy and Comedy and Fairy Tale. The gospel, like comedy, is at its best when its punchlines hit us with the unexpected and do so with perfect timing. This Easter being April Fool's Day, I had thought some time back that I actually might kind of, kind of riff on that theme of God on Easter Sunday pranking pulling the rug out from under sin and death and every power of evil that there is. But then we decided to go one better. When we decided that we are going to next Sunday resurrect a very old tradition in the Christian church on the week after Easter, and that is joyfully with Easter smiles on our hearts and, I mean, Lutherans maybe even on our faces... We're going to resurrect and observe Holy Humor Sunday. 
you wonder what that would be like, I will tell you that Jerry Zinn and Dave Panther will be two of the assisting liturgists. <laughs> Come next Sunday, and even if your heart is a little heavier, maybe anxious these days, maybe especially if your heart is a little heavy or perhaps anxious these days, Come and let's smile together, let's laugh even, and let's do so as a way of remembering with joy that because Jesus lives, we can laugh, because he does have the last laugh and the last word, and in him there is everlasting joy. In the meantime, I needed to think of a new Easter sermon. And something happened this week, and I thought to myself, right place, wrong time, which got me thinking about the direction I decided to go today, and that is that for the three women mentioned in today's gospel story by name, um, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome, the first Easter was actually a case of right place, right time, wrong plan. I mean, right place and right time? Are you kidding me? The three of them were heading for Easter ground zero, for goodness sakes. In the history of all time ever and ever, every place ever, there's never been a righter place or time to be. For they were about to see with their own eyes what those of us who must content ourselves to see not with eyes but with the eyes of faith would have given anything to see. And that was the actual empty tomb of the actual Jesus Christ actually not there anymore. Right place, right time? I would say so. Wrong plan? Yep, pretty much. For what was their plan? Mark 16, 1, when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. A few comments. Jesus died on Friday, of course. The Jewish Sabbath is on Saturday, except the Jewish Sabbath actually technically begins at sundown on Friday, and the Jewish Sabbath for the observant was a day for rest and worship, period. It was not a day for work of any kind whatsoever, and burying someone is work. But with some haste, and with the help of a a kind of politically connected and also kind friend, a man named Joseph of Arimathea, those of Jesus' followers who hadn't bailed on him, who, by the way, were predominantly women, managed to get his body down from the cross and into a tomb before sunset on Friday. But they didn't, at least not in Matthew, Mark, and Luke's telling, they didn't have time to do it right, which in those days would have included washing the body of all dirt and grime and, of course, in Jesus' case, blood, and combing the grit and, in Jesus' case, matted blood out of his hair and beard and pouring aromatic spices over the body and then gently massaging them into the skin, in Jesus' case, flogging whip-ripped skin and then wrapping the body and the hands and the feet, in Jesus' case, spear-punctured body and, and nail-spiked hands and feet in cloth before putting some cloth over the face, in Jesus' case, the face of the one they had come to believe 
to be a glimpse of the face of God. Virtually none of that, Mark said, had been done on Friday. There hadn't been time before sunset and Sabbath rest. And so on Sunday, early Sunday, the women set out to work through the first stages of their grief, the same way, no doubt, many of us in times have found ourselves working through the early stages of grief too, and that is by keeping busy, just doing the things that need to be done. And what needed to be done then was properly to prepare and anoint the body for the rest of the forever that it would now spend being a dead body. Right place, right time, wrong plan. Because it's Easter morning, for goodness sakes, but there's nothing even smelling of Easter in their plans. Their plans were plans fragrant with the aromas of death and grief. And, as it turns out, worry. Mark 16, verse 3. Who, they had been saying to each other pretty much all the way over, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? But then says Mark 16, verse 4, when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled back. Gosh, and they had spent all that quality time fretting. Fretting over something it turns out they needn't have spent any time fretting about in the first place. Note to self, maybe note to you too, it's a common outcome. Whenever we find ourselves thinking of all the obstacles in our lives rather than thinking of the promises of the Lord of life, we worry about so many things in life with worried energy that is, that is life-sapping and wasted energy because the worrisome things far and away most often don't happen and they were never going to happen. And even when sometimes, like on that Friday, things did happen, there was nevertheless still no true reason for fretting and worrying because God did still have things and have them and have even the awfulness of everything they'd seen on that day. God had it all covered in promises. God, says Mark 16, 4, totally had things covered that morning because the grave, when they got there, was uncovered. The huge stone rolled away, not, by the way, so that Jesus could get out and be seen. Jesus, remember, a little bit later, is going to make himself seen in that upper room where the disciples have been hiding out in their own fear and fretting, and Jesus appears to them without the windows or the doors ever being opened or unlocked. So no, the huge stone was not rolled away so that Jesus could get out and be seen. It was rolled away so that they could get in and see. See what? Well, see for starters that Jesus wasn't there. But a young man, says Mark, was there. That's all Mark says about him, but presumably this young man was an angel, except that apparently angels don't necessarily look like angels all the time. They might look like, well, like a young man who finished breakfast this morning and headed for work and said, look, Mom, no wings. A young man who now said to them, essentially, you're looking for Jesus, right? Well, don't be looking for him where dead is. 
Look for Jesus by looking to where life is and where life ever will be. And even though death has had its day, life will be there, for he's risen, just as he has promised. Go and tell Peter, go tell all the disciples to go to Galilee, where you will see him alive again, just as he promised. And of course, the women then said, Christ is risen, Christ is risen indeed, Alleluia. Oops, not, right? The woman, woman says Mark 16, 8, in a really curious verse, went out and fled from the tomb. Then they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Right place, right time, wrong plan. They didn't head for the tomb to worship him alive again, but to tend to his lifeless body. Right place, right time, wrong plan. They didn't walk there reminding each other of their faith, but fretting with each other and reciting with each other their worries. Right place, right time, wrong plan. They didn't leave there singing alleluias, but left rather songless in their fears. Ah, but. Ah, sisters and brothers in Christ, but. Right place, right time, wrong plan, but to the forever empty tomb of the right Savior. The Savior who came to do all that he did to and to promise all that he did promise and to die the bloody awful death that he did die and to rise again the way that he did rise again so that we who in our own ways so often haven't gotten things right but wrong, might know that as is the case with death, so is the case with our wrongness. It doesn't have what it takes to keep Jesus in the right place and the right time from living into God's plan for us and for all people, the right and the wrong, the living and the dead, the faithful and the fearful, the saint and the sinner, me and you. What plan? The plan for us to know that nothing, nothing in life or death, nothing we've feared or fled, nothing we've gotten wrong and gotten wrong again and gotten wrong again, nothing we've planned or wish we had or wish we hadn't, nothing, no thing and nobody have what it takes to defeat his plan to forgive sinners and to love this sin-broken world, and to raise from the dead those slain by the metastasized malignancies of sin, and then to go before us to the place he has promised, where as saints and sinners following in faith, when we get there, we will see him face to face and forever and ever. In the meantime, In the meantime, how about right place? And by right place, I mean any and every place you personally ever are. And right time, and by right time I mean ever and always. And right plan, and by right plan, let me suggest this fourfold plan. Number one, remember what he chose you that Thursday night when with wine and bread in his hands he said, remember me. And remember what I did for you. 
And number two, remember that because he did what he did for you, he actually and provenly has what it takes not just to make, but to actually keep the kinds of promises he actually has promised you. Like, for example, the promise that, not, that even death, the death you will one day die, the people you the death some whom you love have already died is not as powerful of the, as the power of his love for you and them, nor is the sin you've sinned, even the sin you're not done yet sinning, as powerful as the powerful power of his forgiveness, which is forgiveness for you. And remember three, that you don't ever need to be, you don't ever need to be fretful or fearful. Even when fretful or fearful things are going on all around you or within you, for he has you covered. Covered in promises which are as true as truth is true. And therefore remember for that therefore because he lives And so, therefore, there is nothing ultimately to fear. You can, you, by the grace of God, can live in ways this sin-broken world so needs more people to be living. For because he lives, you can live the exact opposite of fearfully. And what does that look like? Well, he told us that on Thursday night too. Remember? Towel and basin and wet hands. He said, this is my commandment. Love one another the way I have loved you. Amen.